Should we start this podcast with a ching? Oh, yeah. Clink. Clink. Whew, those are some herbs. I think I have Lou Wrong in here. Oh, boy. There might be Lou Wrong. We're in for a treat. I think there's no geckos, though. <laughs> hey, we have a podcast. I'm here with Dr. Jazz. Hello. And we are talking about what it's like starting an acupuncture practice. What it's like getting started, what worked and didn't work in terms of getting new patients in the door, market saturation, social media, taking insurance, and more. So if you've just graduated or you're just getting started in your practice, hopefully you'll find something helpful here. Dr. Jazz, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So I don't know if this is something you can relate to, but when I was first starting, right after graduation, I was kind of freaking out. This was just so different and I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, when I was in school, I was mostly focused on trying to understand the medicine, making sure I passed my classes, treating my patients. Then once I graduated, I was focused on passing my boards. So when I finally got my license, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to start a business now. And I had no idea what I was doing. And to make things worse, right after I graduated, all of my friends from school moved out of town. So I felt suddenly very alone. And finally getting my license was great, but the timing of it was I got my license at about the same time that my first student loan payment was due. So I was like, am I going to be able to afford student loan payments? Am I going to be able to even pay my rent? So I was kind of freaking out a little bit. Luckily, I had some friends who helped me out. I had a good friend, Neil, who's not an acupuncturist, but he's an esthetician and a massage therapist. So he's gone through the same process of starting a business. He was able to calm me down and give me some good advice. I had a friend, Dave, who helped me out quite a bit with business. And when these people were helping me out, something they both said was, when we were first starting out, we had people who helped us. So helping you is our way of paying it forward for the help that we got when we were first starting out. So maybe that's something that we can do today. Now that we're on the other side of this, we're a little bit more confident in our treatments. We're able to pay our bills. Maybe we can pay it forward and help out some people who are just starting out today. So I don't know, does any of this resonate with you? When you were first starting out, were you confident and excited and ready to go? Or were you like me and kind of freaking out? I think that's a great question. And what I have found is that it really depends on your situation. So if you were new to this profession and this was something you were starting out, that can be a really scary time because you don't know where to start. Uh, I felt very privileged and uh, grateful that I had already had a massage practice while I was going to school. I had gotten my massage license back in Minneapolis uh, where I was living before I moved out to San Diego to come to Pacific College of Oriental Medicine, which is now Pacific... Uh, Peaches. Peaches. I've heard people try to call it Peaches, (laughs) Pacific College of Health and Science. Uh, Yes. And um, yeah, so luckily I had... um, I had a very similar career that I had already started working with um, as a great segue for that. So while I was new to San Diego, I started building my massage practice as I was going to acupuncture school. And I know at this specific school, they do offer a massage program. And many students did get their massage license while they were going to acupuncture school. And I believe you could finish that before you were done with the acupuncture program. So... A lot of people could start to do that massage practice building while finishing up acupuncture school. So that was the boat that I was in, was I already had something to fall back to when I graduated. So once I finished school and 
comps and the board, I was able to focus on my massage practice, let everybody know acupuncture was coming. And uh, it was an easier transition for me because I already had that base. So was that easy to get people to transfer over? Or did you, did your massage clients become your acupuncture clients pretty easily? Or did they just, were they just like, I want massage? Uh, quite a few of them did, actually, which I was really grateful for. Um, some preferred to stay just massage, and that was fine. But as I was going through the program and doing the internship at the school, um, people would come to the clinic to experience my acupuncture, um, not only in support of me, but curious about what acupuncture was. And so it was something I talked about all the time anyway, so they all knew that that's what I was doing. So it was uh, interesting that most of them have become acupuncture patients, but several wanted to keep it to massage, and that's okay too. So you've been doing this for like eight or nine years now? I have. So what was your timeline like with that? Because like one of the things that somebody told me when I was starting out is he said that for his first one to two years, he was really struggling, that he was kind of living off of credit cards. He had to uh, pick up some extra gigs in order to make ends meet. But by the time he got to year two and three, it was more like he was breaking even. By the time he got to year three and four, that's when he was really making money. And then after like six years into it, that's when he got to the point where he was booked out a month in advance, that he wasn't doing any marketing, that he had enough clientele, that he could just work with what he had. So I've kinda, I kind of feel like a lot of people follow that a similar timeline. What was it like for you in terms of building your practice? Yeah, I think the first couple of years were pretty tough um, just because you have a lot of front end expenses, um, which when you're in school, you don't think about saving money for that, really, because we're not really prepared to be business owners. We're prepared to be acupuncturists. And it's a whole new beast. Like doing acupuncture is easy now, but being a business owner, that's where uh, the true tests come in to, you know, what you are capable of doing and multitasking, right? Because we're here because we love to treat. We love being in the room with the patients, but answering the phones and the emails and getting back to people timely and all of that admin stuff, that can really slow you down, especially if you don't have a system for it, if you're not ready for it, if you don't know all the ins and outs of that. Um, so for me, it was, I was, Really lucky because I was able to go into business with um, some of my classmates um, who I'm still in business with now. And uh, we we started a place together called San Diego Herbal Medicine and Acupuncture here in San Diego. Um, and so we kind of were able to collaborate. So there were a couple of us that were able to get together and share a vision and create this place. Um, but we still as individuals struggled on our own to get that clientele. And yeah, it took time. I would say, like you said, it was about a year or two before I started actually making money. And uh, it was, someone told me too, that it was year three, that's when you would start to make money. And I do remember around that third year looking at my bank account and thinking, what did I forget to pay? Why is there extra money in my account? And that's when I realized, oh, I'm, I'm actually past breaking even. I can, I can have a little extra. Um, and then, you know, when you do that, that's also, I guess, for us, when we started to want to add, you know, bells and whistles like a hydroculator or, you know, table warmers or whatever it is that you want to add on, um, Obviously, you can save that money and spend it on yourself or improving the clinic. And, yeah, you know, kind now of reinvesting. Right. Exactly. And now I think we're a little over eight years in and um, 
we're making some upgrades now. And now we're all doing really well, which we're really grateful for, especially because it's the pandemic right now, which I know shifted a lot of things. Um, but we've we've been able to be creative and support each other and be in a community. I think that's the other thing is, you know, there's a couple different ways that you can you can be as a practitioner. You can join a group practice or you can rent a room. And for us, why we got together is we wanted to keep the feel of what we experienced when we were in school. We wanted that community because we heard about and witnessed how isolating sometimes it can be to be a practitioner renting a room out of a chiropractic office. Because when you're in school and you're talking about Chinese medicine and nerding out on everything, it's so satiating and so much fun to just talk about the medicine because it's so interesting. But then when you go outside of that bubble and you're talking to people who have no context for it, it can sometimes be a little, a little lonely. Did you ever feel like you were competing with those people? Because I have heard stories about people that they go into business with somebody else and it's like, or it's like when you graduate, like these people that used to be your classmates, they're now your competition. Did you ever feel that way or did you have a good, uh, you were able to support each other and kind of jumpstart each other? No, actually, I don't feel like we were competition at all. We are very proud of how we can support each other. We actually have a lot of, interclinic referrals. Um, myself and some other practitioners, we share patients because each of us specialize and do different things. Uh, we also like to bring the community together, not just within our clinic, but surrounding us. Uh, there's other practitioners that I like to refer to because they specialize in something that I'm not as interested in. Um, and I think that the more people that know and experience acupuncture, the better it's going to be for the profession. And yes, we're in San Diego and there's a lot of acupuncturists here, but I'm not concerned about competing with any of them. I think if anything, it's going to bring more awareness to the community and in the long run, bring in more patients for all of us. So getting back to like the timeline, that was one of my first pieces of advice that Neil said to me because it, it took him a couple years to get established. He was like, Pick one spot and stay there. And as long as you can survive your first couple of years, then you'll start to build momentum. And I feel like that's like that's not just an acupuncture thing. I think that's true of just starting a business in general, whether you're starting a restaurant or freelancing in graphic design or starting a store on Etsy. It just takes some time to get going. Um, I, I feel like I have seen some people kind of bypass that or shortcut that, but that's usually like, my dad is a chiropractor and he started feeding me patients or they're somehow already established in the community. But I, I feel like most of the people I've talked to, that is a pretty good timeline now about like year three is when you really start making money. So it's kind of just a game of you have to stick with it and persevere and find a way to keep your doors open for those first couple of years while you're building momentum. That is something that uh, we talked about my business partner and I, is we wanted to find a place that we could be for at least 10 years. And that's been our goal. And we're at year eight now. People know us in the community. We have good Yelp reviews. And that took a long time. Um, and people are starting to Google us more. What's really cool is with Google Analytics, just side note, is it tells you how many people look at your pictures, how many people look at your website. And this is all new information to me. I mean, that was something that I had to learn. But it's really wonderful to look and track and see how many people have come to your website, how many visitors have you had, how many people Googled how to get to your place, called you up. Um, and so those numbers, as they increase, always impressed me. Um, 
just knowing that the community is starting to know who we are. A lot of people say, oh, we walk by your building and we we saw what you do and we wanted to learn more. Um, so I think definitely being established, um, not practice hopping, which some people like to do. I totally did that. I, I started in San Diego, then I moved to Kentucky, then I moved back to San Diego and people kept being like, how are you going to have a practice if you move every year and a half? It's like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> and, you know, some people that if that what's worked for you, then you should do it. You know, if you like to change things up and go to different places and see what fits, um, it's not always going to be a good fit. And you're going to think that it is and then change your mind. And, and that's OK, because ultimately you want to be happy because the more happy you are, the more effective you will be as a practitioner with your patients. Yeah. But yeah, it is definitely a thing that if I had stayed in one place, I would have grown so much more faster. Absolutely. It was definitely a detriment, but it's kind of like, this is what I want to do. So I did it and it was to my disadvantage. What were some of the ways that you first got patients coming through the door when you were first starting out? Did you um, did you advertise? Did you do Yelp? Did you go to health fairs? Did you just rely on word of mouth? Did you print out flyers and post them around town? What were some of the ways that you got patients to come through the door? And what were some things that you tried that really worked well? And what were some things that didn't work so well? Good question. I started out with my massage patients, that was kind of my number one referral source, right? If someone asks you what's the number one way, it's word of mouth. Uh, the next thing that I did, of course, get a Facebook page and Yelp. Um, I have an Instagram page and I'm mildly active on there. Um, but the, actually, the thing that really brought patients in was joining a networking group. And the reason I did that is because when I graduated here in San Diego, I realized I only knew acupuncturists. And I thought to myself, what acupuncturist is going to refer to me, especially brand new? And these are the only people I know. So where can I go that I can meet people who don't know anything about acupuncture, but would likely refer to me? And a networking group is what I decided. So it wasn't just like a group of only acupuncturists. I know sometimes they have those groups where there's like they have one person who does this and they have one person who does this and to, to make to like force some variety in there. So was that kind of thing? Yes, correct. So there's one profession per category, right? So there's one acupuncturist, one massage therapist, one chiropractor, one real estate agent, one mortgage broker, et cetera. But there's multiple chapters in San Diego. So that's what's great about this particular networking group is that even though I'm in a group of 25 referral partners, there are also events and ways to connect with people in different chapters within San Diego. A recent example is um, sometimes I do like larger events and there happened to be a woman who's a lymphatic massage therapist and we connected and it turned out that we all we both knew the same 12 people that weren't even related to the networking group. They were part of the healing community. It was just amazing that I randomly went to this event and met this woman who I happened to know the same patients or the same group of practitioners. And now we are referral partners and <clears throat> we've shared several clients with each other, which has been wonderful. Um, but that wasn't even in my particular chapter. So it expands out. How did you find that? Was it just like a Google search? Did you know people? So back when I was living in Minneapolis and I was a massage therapist, my very first massage job, my boss was part of this networking group. And 
they expect you to be there every week. And if you can't be there, they expect a sub. And so she asked me to substitute for her. I was 23 years old, brand new. And I went to this event where I had to talk in front of people. And I was so terrified. But I met a chiropractor. I met some other people that resonated with me and kind of shared their experiences. And I ended up subbing for her several times. And then when I moved out to San Diego and I graduated from school, I thought, oh, maybe that would be a good place to start with this networking group. So um, having that first experience is what kind of set me on this path to this networking group. And the thing that I want to say about it is it has taught me how to speak in front of people. And I think that's a really key thing because... We can talk about acupuncture to each other and we get it. But when you start talking to the public, you really need to know your audience and you need to know how to be able to speak the medicine to the person that you're talking to. Meaning, do they understand what liver cheese stagnation is or do they think they're going to die because their liver is out of balance? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's good. That's It's not just a patient referral base. It also gave you some good practice about how to communicate with others about the medicine. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, every week we have to speak something about our, our practice, do a little whatever you call it, elevator speech, 60 second commercial. And so I've gotten really good at those. And we also have the opportunity to do a 10 minute presentation every few months. So I have several presentations, um, which is great because now those presentations can be used at other events, right? I've made PowerPoints. I have a practice. I know what I want to talk about all in relation to acupuncture. One's on stress, one's on digestion, another one's on mental, emotional health, right? And so now I have all these presentations, I'm practiced speaking in front of people. So then when I actually go to community events, um, I've already organized, I've practiced this, I know what I want to say, I know how to answer questions. And that's something I'm really grateful for that I feel is really priceless about being in a networking group. So when you joined that, you were able to see a direct correlation of I started going here and I got new patients coming in the door. Yeah. So that's another thing that this networking group does is they track your progress. So you see how much close business you get, how many referrals you receive, how many you give. Um, There's continuing education, but everything's tracked now on an app. Um, And so I can look and I can see how much have I earned in my lifetime of being part of this group and how much did I earn in the last 12 months. And it's significantly increased. And I'd say probably, I don't know, a fourth of my business has come from this place. Yeah, which is pretty decent. Um, were there any things that you tried that you noticed like did not work at all? Cause like, I remember when I first started out, I like printed out flyers and went around to the local businesses. And I think I got no patients out of that. I've talked to other people that they say they've gone to health fairs and they're like, Oh yeah, we spent all this money on a booth and got a big banner and it was really fun, but we got zero patients out of it. Was there, was there anything that you tried that like didn't work at all? Yes. So I've done several events, um, other networking events, other places to get booths. And, you know, you can pay pay a pretty price for some of those booth fees. Um, And I honestly, it's a mixed bag. It depends on what is the event for, what kind of people are going to be there, um, what their interests are, um, and and what you offer too. So sure, you can have your swag of your business cards and whatever, but I find, you know, bringing like a Posamon and the Jade Roller and like, like things people can pick up and be tactile and touch. 
And I would always do um, raffle, right? So you get people oh, to like yeah. throw in their business card or, or write it down. And here's the thing about that mm-hmm. is I would have this pile of tickets. I think we did t- one time we had like 200 people put tickets in and I pulled the three winners for whatever. Crickets, nothing, right? So uh, I have a business coach and she said, why don't you make everybody a winner? So the next time I did that, same thing, got a bunch of tickets emailed 200 people oh nice and maybe two people responded they won a free session (laughs) and you know you got to say okay well maybe half of that went to spam or you know they didn't look at it but it was so surprising yeah sometimes sending out emails it's like if you can get 40 percent of people to actually open the email that's considered really good just to open the email much less take action after that Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, other things, um, I know a lot of people are pretty active on social media and I'm curious to hear from those people. Um, how many people are bringing in patients from Facebook and Instagram? Yeah. So how, how have you gone with that? Maybe total in my business, maybe a total of eight or 10 people that have actually come in from that source. Yeah. Cause I'm always curious about that. Cause that was one of the things that like Neil first told me that I was asking about, like, do you do social media? And he said, no, if I do Yelp, then I get consistently one or two returning clients from Yelp, but posting on Facebook has never brought a patient into the door. And so that was something that I went around and asked other practitioners about that. What's your experience with social media? And I feel like I get this split where like, 80% of people are like, no, I get nothing. It's so much better to do one-on-one connections that social media just doesn't work for me. But I do have like 20% of people that are like really gung-ho about it and they're really into it. And they say, I get all of my patients off of social media. And I think what's happening is with the people who really like it, those people built up a following doing something else. And then they were able to pivot or leverage that following in order to build their acupuncture practice. So it was more like they built a following doing yoga or they built a following as a personal trainer or a dancer or something else. Even I knew one person who had a cooking show on Instagram and they were able to build a following that way. And then they were able to get those people to come into their acupuncture practice. But in terms of people just starting a Facebook page, kind of kind of what I tell people is if all you do is start a Facebook page and then invite 500 of your acupuncturist friends to like that page, you're probably not going to get a lot of people coming through your door because of that. Um, so you did you did Yelp. Did Yelp help you at all? Yes. So in my networking group, there was a digital marketing media person. And one time she suggested that Yelp's sweet spot is 150 Yelp reviews. That's it. When you get to 150, then things start coming in. I don't think we're quite at 150. I think we're at like 130, but we are starting to get more call. We call walk-ins phone calls, right? Because things have changed now, but we're starting to get calls. People hear from us. I think the last two weeks I had three new patients and I always ask new patients, how do they hear about me? And those three patients said they just Googled it and, you know, we have 12 practitioners and they can go online and look at all of us. And they said, I really liked your picture and you were the person I chose. Three people told me that. And so that's another really good advice is get a really nice headshot. 
like professional, not you cut out of a screen from, you know, a group photo, like spend the money, have someone who's either an amateur photographer or, you know, someone that you can spend money on, but it's yeah. worth the investment to yeah. look good. Or you, or you can trade with people trade a lot of times. That's a thing too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things I heard when I was first starting out is make your Yelp page look really nice, get some good reviews, and that can bring more people in rather than a Facebook page or an Instagram page. Um, and I feel like that varies depending on where you are, because I think like in California, Yelp is really big. But when I was in the Midwest, not a lot of people used Yelp, but they did use Google reviews. So sometimes I think it varies by your region. Yeah, I think that's true. I tried to find someone in the Midwest for my family and... Nobody had claimed any of the acupuncture practices on Yelp in the area that I was looking, and I couldn't believe it. And so I found them on my own, just Googled them, and I emailed these acupuncturists and said, hey, I live in California. I'm looking for someone to treat my parents. Crickets. Like, I emailed five people, and they didn't respond. So um, that's the other thing, if I can give some advice, is respond immediately. Another thing I heard is a patient is more likely to book with you how does this go? If you respond within an hour of an email, they're 6,000% more likely to book with you than if you wait any longer than that, oh, wow. yeah. which is a weird number. But yeah. I have definitely found that to be true. Not 6,000%. I don't know what that means. But if you, the sooner you respond, the more people, more likely people are to book with me, right? If I call them back right away, text them back, email them back. But that promptness is key. There's so many people that are like, well, I never heard back from them, so I'm going to go somewhere else. Because usually when people are looking for you, they're in pain or some kind of discomfort. So you really want to get back to them right away. Otherwise, they're not going to feel cared for. Yeah, just showing up is is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Is Groupon still a thing? Have you ever done Groupon? I have not personally, but we have had a handful of practitioners do it at our clinic. Any and good stories about that? Oh, yeah. It's kind of... Um, You know, I don't want to speak ill of it because I think some people are doing it and they're finding it to be a bit fruitful, but Groupon people aren't likely to reschedule again. They like the deal. Those are people who are like to kick the tires around and not really make a decision and try it because it's cheap. I feel like I haven't heard a lot of good stories about Groupon and paying or or doing Yelp deals or paying money to Yelp. Then that's, that's one of the things he said to me was make a good Yelp page. Don't pay the money for Yelp. So... But they'll keep asking you for money. Yeah. I, don't do it. You don't need to. Yeah, no. I, I had people calling me all the time. Sometimes they would be sneaky. They'd like call me up and their hook was to use a joke and it was a really bad joke. Like, what's the difference between in-laws and outlaws? And like, why are you calling me? Um, so they are very persistent, but they they usually want to charge you like $300 or $450 a month. And I've just never heard good things about that. There's other one-off websites that contact us too, you know, like... You know, pay $50 a month and people will come here, but it's it's websites you've never heard of. So you just got to be careful of that, that, you know, people are going to take advantage of you being a new business owner, you know, when you register in your state or your county or wherever, you know, there's lists that you get on and people see that and they're going to try and get money out of you to join this obscure website that no one's ever heard of, you know, and as much fun as that would be to say, oh, look at all these other practitioners, if 
you know, call them up. If you see someone you know on that list, find out, do your market research, talk to other acupuncturists, talk to other people you see on there to see if it's been fruitful for them. So there are a couple of those. I can't remember the names now, but I remember first starting out and having these people contacted me and thinking like, oh, me? What? This is awesome. And then you realize- I'm so honored. No, they just want money out of you. And it's not worth it. You don't need to do that. Because again, word of mouth is the number one. Yeah. And yeah, and I feel like that's where it could be good to have like a networking group or a community that other people will have vetted this and they can say, this is good. This is not so good. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing you can do is join something in the community that you love to do. Go to a yoga class. Uh, I knew an acupuncturist who joined a running team. And, you know, you just obviously start talking about the things that you do. And that's how you can get people interested in what you do is by by joining these groups that do things that you're interested in and they can become some of your patients. That's another thing I guess I'll share that I that's worked for me is um, I'm part of a yoga community, a particular place that I go to, a teacher that I follow. And I've done a series of his, his courses over the last, gosh, five, six, seven years. And he promotes me in the classes. When I'm there, I'll say, oh yeah, don't forget to get acupuncture during this course from Dr. Jazz. Don't forget to go to the massage therapist. We also have a colon hydrotherapist. You know, these are things that you can do that can help you while you're doing this course. Um, so it's nice to build those relationships with people who talk to people. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's that's like a very natural networking thing where I know some people, it's like I had a friend that uh, she got pregnant and had a baby and she's really good at networking. So it's when she went to her prenatal classes, she was networking with people when she was getting, when she had a lactation consultant, she was networking with people. When she was going to the diaper fairy cottage, she was networking with people. And so sometimes that's just a very natural network. And so she started getting a whole lot of fertility stuff just because she was going through the process and she made the effort to network with those people when she went to those different things. So that's another piece of advice to give is always bring your business cards with you wherever you go. Oh, yeah. I've had that happen a lot where somebody would ask me for a card and it's like, oh, I, I don't have any on me or something like that. So sometimes it's really surprising that you'll be in a weird situation and people will ask you. And if they're really serious, you get their contact info, too, because there's so many times I've handed my cards out and then you never hear from them again. But if you get their info, you can follow up and say, hey, it was great to meet you. Just wanted to follow up and see if you're still interested because people really appreciate that. They know they were heard. They know that they connected with you. It's a great way to follow up. Right. What's the, what's the phrase? The fortune is in the follow up. It's so true. Hey, real quick, if you're into topical application of Chinese herbs, you should check out Dragon Blood Balm. This is basically a combination of purple cloud ointment, or zi yun gao, and dit de jiao in balm form. Dragon Blood Balm was created by acupuncturist rock climbers to help heal their hands after rough rock climbing sessions. The formula contains ingredients like shui jie, ru xiang, and mo yao that invigorate blood and regenerate flesh, so it's good for all types of sinew and skin issues. If you want to try it out, there's a link in the description below or the show notes, and you can use coupon code ND15 for 15% off your order. And this is also a great product that you can sell in your practice to generate extra income. So if you're interested in setting up a wholesale account, there's a link for that too. Um, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, but something people ask me a lot about is 
We're in Southern California and a lot of people are concerned about market saturation. So like even if I just look up acupuncture and Hillcrest on Yelp, there are like 50 people. Has that ever been a problem for you? Do you feel like that's been a hindrance that the amount of market saturation in Southern California? I don't think so. I specialize in uh, an abdominal massage called Chine Song. And so I think the thing that they did talk about in the classes is to really niche down. Find that thing that you are passionate about that nobody else does. You know, there's another great book that a chiropractor actually suggested to me called 24 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And I only made it to the first three because I started applying them and it worked. And the first law is do something that no one else has ever done. Do you know who the first person was to land on the moon? Yes. Do you know who the second person was? Yeah, it was Neil then Buzz, right? And then who was the third person? Yeah, nobody knows. Yeah, nobody knows, right? So do something that no one's ever done before. Well, gee, Dr. Jazz, there's already a bunch of acupuncturists. Can't reinvent that. So the second law is, if it already exists, create something new. So there are very few, if any, acupuncturists that do acupuncture and chine song. So I niched down to the specific type of massage that very few people do here. And that's the most lucrative part of my business. 80% of my business comes from people who look for chine song and they come to me for that. Obviously, I talk about acupuncture and Chinese medicine because, you know, massage and acupuncture go hand in hand in a lot of ways. So if you can find something that you're passionate about, whether it's fertility, like you were talking about, or um, orthopedic or cupping or whatever, just find the thing that you really love and hone in on that and let that be the thing that propels you. Of course, we can do other things. Of course, we can do multiple things. But if that's, the, if that's the in for the biggest crowd that can come to you, then that's a really important way to separate yourself out from the market, which, you know, I don't really see as saturated. I see it as more people are aware of it because of the saturation. Yeah. So first of all, I would say that... Um I do have a lot of students coming to me and they ask, do you have a specialty? Should I have a specialty? Do I need a specialty? And I think that if you're someplace like this where it's having a specialty can make you stand out. So if you just say, I do acupuncture, not everybody knows what that means. But if you say, I treat women's health problems, then that's something that people can latch onto and that's something that can resonate with people. So sometimes I think it's not... Um, in terms of practicing the medicine, maybe you don't have to have a specialty, but just for marketing purposes, it can really help to have a specialty. But sometimes I think there are pros and cons where somewhere like Southern California, there are a lot of acupuncturists, but there are also a lot of people who are interested in acupuncture. Whereas when I went to the Midwest, it was like nobody really knew about acupuncture, but we are also the only acupuncturist in town. So it's kind of like pros and cons each way. When I was in Minneapolis, I started out with shiatsu massage. That was my initial training. And nobody heard of shiatsu in Minnesota. So it was really hard. But once I started doing full body massage, circulatory, Swedish, then people would start coming to see me. But, you know, there's also, like I said before, know your audience, right? There were people who were like, mm, I only let my wife touch me. I'm not going to get a massage from a stranger, you know, so you got to know what type of people you're talking with. And I think that people can still be successful in places that aren't saturated. You know, I've had the thought of 
going back to Wisconsin and going to that place where there's zero Yelp reviews. And I could probably do really well because I was forced to work really hard in a place that was saturated. If I go to a place that doesn't have a lot, then that'd be really easy to do, to get on Yelp, get on Google, go around town. Like you could really make yourself known. I think of going back to my hometown and calling up all my friends' parents that, you know, I went to grade school with, you know, and connecting with them because that would be a great new place to educate. Because I think that's another key part of what we do, not only in our marketing, but as acupuncturists, is we're educating people. People won't come to you because they're not educated. So how can we present this medicine in a way that's going to engage them and interest them? And there's definitely people you talk to and you see the eyes roll in the back of their heads or they kind of give you that blank stare. I just stop talking. Like, why am I going to waste my time trying to convince a person who clearly doesn't have a context for this. And it's not a judgment. It's just an observation. And I'd rather spend my chi on people that want to be there and want to learn. So speaking of the difference between like California and going home to the Midwest, uh, how are referrals for you? Because this is something I noticed that was different that in California, getting referrals was like pulling teeth that I had people that they would take a stack of my business cards and they'd be like, oh, yeah, I handed out like 10 of your business cards. Did any of these people call you? And I was like, no, not really. Or they'd be like, oh, I gave your name to this person. And then a couple of weeks later, like, did they ever get in contact with you? And you're like, no, not really. Whereas when I went to the Midwest, it's very community oriented. So that it was more like I treat one person and then seven members of their extended family come to see me or I treat one person and then suddenly I'm treating their entire church or I had one patient that came in for plantar fasciitis because he was uh, he worked in a factory and he was on a concrete floor all day. I did one treatment, got really good results. After that, I was tre- treating the entire factory floor because word just got around. So I feel like that was a difference that in California, it seemed a lot harder, whereas in the Midwest, maybe it's just because it's more community oriented. Word of mouth worked a lot better. Have you noticed anything like that around here? Yeah, that's very interesting. Um I think that goes back to um, what I was talking about earlier. Hand out your business cards, but get their contact info. The next thing that you can do is when someone refers you to someone, ask them for an email introduction. So they send you and the person they're referring an email. So both of you are included. I like to send an email and say, hey, I'd like to introduce my referral to you, Nicholas. This is the acupuncturist I was telling you about. Here is his contact info. Hey, referral, this is Nicholas. Here's. Yeah, so you have an immediate follow up. Right? Yeah. So then there's an email shared and you can respond to it. Um, I like to put the contact info because some people prefer phone calls. Um, and of course, ask the person's permission. Do you mind if I send an intro email to you and this acupuncturist? Because I think it'll be a great connection and they're really busy and I want to make sure you get a hold of them. Right. So, um, so I found that that email introduction is key. So maybe this is weird. Maybe this is all we've already covered this. What's one piece of advice you would give to someone who's just starting out? Or what's something that you wish you knew when you were start, first starting out? Or what's a mistake that you made when you were first starting out? I think the piece of advice that I would give is this is a long game, right? We are definitely in a culture that's giving us immediate gratification. But, you know, you spent a lot of money to learn this, to have this education. So I hope you want to do this a long time. So you have to think in 10-year 
five-year, 10-year patterns versus thinking, how am I going to pay my bill next month, right? You will, but not yet. And you have to do the front loading. You have to do all the work on the front end. But I definitely feel like we're at a place where I don't need to do Facebook every week. I don't need to do Instagram all the time. I don't have to do videos. You know, I can... It's perpetuating itself now or Yelp review, you know, everything's rolling in, but you don't stop. That's the other thing is like, don't just stop because you're successful. You still have to like think about it as a pipeline, right? You got to keep putting things in and maybe you don't have to put it in at the speed that you used to, but you still need to have that consistency. Yeah. So we shouldn't have this expectation that like you graduate school and you're just going to fall into a six figure job. This is something that you're in this, at least if you're starting a practice, you're in this for the long haul. And that's what I think that's why we said, like pick a place and stay there for a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, think about what resources you have. I think one thing I wish I would have heard was to I got financial aid and I wish I would have put some of that financial aid away to have the resources up front because that was really hard to say, okay, where are we going to practice? Oh, no, we have to get a building and rent and paint and new floors and tables and law, that whole line of stuff. You didn't even think of when you were graduating. You're just, I just want to pass the boards. Yeah, and banks don't want to give you a loan. No, <laughs> no. So I wish I would have saved some of that money so I could have had a little bit of a cushion. Um, mistake that I made, I would say not having good customer service. That was definitely something I had to learn. Oh, that's interesting. Um, we would do reminder phone calls before text message and emails. Um, and you know, I'd have to do like 10 or 12 of them. So I just wanted to, Hey, remind you of your appointment. See you tomorrow. And just go through the line and get them done. Yeah. It was very like robotic. Yeah. And my patient that I did the reminder came in and he's like, don't ever talk to me like that again. I'm your patient. You know me. He said that. Don't talk to me like a robot. You know, and that really shocked me that he called me out on that. And I, you know, apologized and (laughs) hopefully moved on. And so my second story about customer service is a patient of mine that was referred to me by a massage therapist. And he was consistent like clockwork for, gosh, maybe over a year, every single week, same time, same place. And I thought I built a really good rapport with him. And in our clinic, it was an older building and there was no, I'm going to call it the stuffing between the walls. What's the name? Oh, there was no like sound insulation. So there was no sound insulation. And so you could hear the other practitioners in the next door room. And so I put the needles in him and I left the room and I came back and he's like, I got to go. It sounds like a nail salon in here. And I'm like, I can I can tell them to be quiet. He's like, no, no, I got to go. Just pull the needles. So he left and he was, you know, booked out for like the next month. And then he canceled the next week. And I'm like, oh, OK, maybe something came up. He canceled the following week. I'm like, oh, and so I called him up, didn't answer. I sent him an email. Two days later, he's like, you never followed up. You never tried to rectify the situation. You never apologized to me. I'm not coming back to you. And so the next day we put stuffing in the walls to make sure that you can't hear between the walls because we were like, holy crap, I just lost an excellent customer because I didn't follow up. So if any person that I do want to keep, you know, some of the ones you do want to let go because not everybody's a good fit. Um, But from now on, if someone's unhappy or something goes wrong or I get a note about something, 
I call that person immediately. What can I do? How can I help? How can I make this better for you? Uh, because, you know, you want to keep people. You don't want to burn bridges, you know, especially in communities where they overlap. You don't want somebody to be upset and then, you know, and, and the massage therapist that referred me, she hasn't re referred me anyone since then either. So, you know, that one time of just thinking, oh, I have a good relationship with him. It'll be fine. Kind of burnt a couple bridges for me. So making sure that you're good with your customer service is another key thing. So last year when I was at Pacific Symposium, this is something I went around and asked a bunch of people, what advice would you give to people who are just starting out? And so maybe we can go through some of these things people said and see if you agree with them. So I had one person that she said the common thing that she saw was a lot of people undervalued themselves. And so her big piece of advice was know your worth, that she was someone that she said she would give people discounts before they even asked for them. She would undercharge people just because she didn't know her own value. And so her big piece of advice was know your worth and charge an appropriate rate. And that's something that I really resonated with because when I first started out, I had a lot of trouble charging people money. I think part of it was just I'd been a poor student for so long and I was like, I wouldn't pay this much for acupuncture. Um, and maybe another part of it was I just wasn't confident in, enough in my skills that I felt like I deserved to be charging this much money. And so it really kind of took me a while to feel comfortable charging an appropriate rate for my services. Was that something that you had trouble with at all? Or Yeah, I have a couple things to say about that. The first being I was a massage therapist first for about four years before I started my acupuncture practice. And even after I graduated, I didn't raise my prices for 10 years. And once I got my acupuncture degree, I realized, well, now I have a higher education and I should. And I was terrified, terrified. So the first thing is do your market research. What are the average prices in your area? And then charge accordingly. So that's the first piece of advice. So I had to raise my prices to get to that level. And when I did that, I really struggled with it. I was afraid I was going to lose people. I didn't lose a single person. Everyone said, good for you. It's about time. <laughs> and I've raised my prices a couple times since then. And this most recent time, I, again, with my business coach, I said, oh, I want to raise my prices. It was January. And I just didn't have the nerve. And I waited and waited. And I, I brought it up again in June. And she's like, you said you wanted to do this in January. What's what's taking you so long? I'm like, I don't know. I just can't do it. And she's like, all right, let me, let me do some math for you. What do you want to charge? What were you charging? And she did the math and she said, because you didn't raise your prices, you just lost out on $14,000 by not rising, raising your prices. And so that definitely got me into gear and I did that. And so the technique that I came to to do this was to raise my prices $20 and do that for all new patients. All new patients would get the new prices. And everybody else would only get raised $10. Oh, okay. And so there were a few patients that I'm like, I don't even know if they're going to want to do that. So someone said to me, choose the top five people that you're most worried about and just don't raise their prices. So I chose five of my most loyal customers and said, I'm raising prices for everyone else but giving you the loyal discount and keeping you at your price. And some people said, nope, I want to pay the higher price. And some people kept it at what it's at. And so that was really great for me. Um, the second thing is someone suggested 
if you're going to raise your prices, say you're raising it to $150 and you're like, Ooh, that feels like a lot to say in your mind. When you're talking to people say it's $200, it's $200. So then when you actually say 150 out loud, you're like, Oh, that's, that's way less than what I've been repeating in my yeah, head. Yeah, It's like you're negotiating with mm-hmm. yourself. And the third thing that I wanted to share is from a marketing class that I took that you are no longer your ideal client. Let me say that again. You are no longer your ideal client. Whatever you think you could pay for yourself, you're not treating yourself. You're treating other people who don't have the same belief systems around money that you do. So you are no longer your ideal client. That was a game changer for me to stop feeling like, well, I can't afford me. (laughs) But a lot of people can and give them that opportunity to do so. I think for me, a big turning point was I had a patient that he was going to therapy and it was like he would always schedule his appointment. So he would go to his therapy session first and then he would come to see me. So basically, like the first half hour of our treatment was him talking about what he talked about in therapy. And so I was kind of like his backup therapist. And then one day he let slip that he pays his therapist like $180 an hour. And I was like, man, if this guy can afford $180 an hour to see a therapist, Surely he can afford $80 uh, to get acupuncture. So that was one thing that changed my mind. I think what also helped is when I started working with other people, that just kind of got me into this mindset that, well, these other people at this practice are charging this price. And so it just makes sense for me to charge this price as well. But that was something I definitely struggled with at the beginning that when I when I first started out, I was like, oh, I'm just going to charge to this small amount. And I had somebody come up to me and say, no, if you're if you're only charging $40, $60, people aren't going to look at that and say, oh, wow, what a great deal. People are going to look at that and say, wow, you must be a crappy acupuncturist. Um, so to some extent, people are equating the, the rate with the value. Right. And another thing that happened with raising prices is my business partner, who did not complete the massage program, but people want a massage from him because, you know, obviously it's a hands-on work. And... He put it up on the list that he was charging more for massage than I was. And I was infuriated. I have more massage experience, uh, not only when I did my training, but as a practitioner of massage. And here was this acupuncturist charging more. And he was my business partner, no less. And I confronted him about it. I'm like, what are you doing charging more than me? And he said, I don't want a massage. That's why I'm charging this price. So I'm charging it so it's a higher rate to do something that I don't want to do. And so that's actually what I've done now is I've wanted to back away from massage. So massage is more expensive than acupuncture right now because I love doing massage, but my body, you know, it's been a long time. It's been 15 years that I've been doing it, that that's why I went into acupuncture to not do all this wear and tear on my body. But people still want massage. So you're going to pay for a doctor to massage you then. One of the places I worked at, the massage therapist did that where she did, um, if you got an hour massage, it was $90. But if you got a two hour massage, it was $200. And I was like, are you sure this is right? Is this a typo? Why why is it more per hour? And she's like, I don't want to do two hour massages. So I purposely (laughs) charge more just so people will not book a two hour massage. Yep. Um, Charge them till it hurts and people will pay it. And then you'll make good money and you'll feel good about your time. I actually had a call this week. Someone called me up looking for my services. I told them my price. And she said, out of my budget, click. And 
Usually in those cases, I say, okay, if I'm out of your budget, let me refer you to someone who might be a different price than me. So I still like to not leave people hanging and one, refer to my colleagues to still get this person to get a treatment from someone within my network and my community. So I didn't catch her in time, but, um, you know, I, I was like, do I feel guilty about this, losing this business? Not really, because I want people who are going to value my work to come to see me. She could have been another Groupon person. I don't know. Could have been someone who really wasn't a type place with money. And that's another thing is you can offer discounts to people. Well, this is my price, but if you're really struggling, here's a, I don't know what they call it. Um, like sliding scale. Yeah, Here's my sliding scale. And some people do that. And some people that works really well. Um, and then some don't. Yeah. And then there are some people that I really have to warn them that either they're not comfortable charging a price, so they want to charge a lower price, or they're just, they kind of have that attitude that's like, oh, I want to treat everybody. I don't think price should be a barrier. I'm just going to charge this much for treatment. Or they say, I'm going to have a sliding scale. And I have to warn people that if you do that, that's fine, but you need to mentally prepare yourself because inevitably what will happen is you'll have somebody come in, try to barter with you, try to get a discount, and they'll make this big deal about trying to lower the price. And then later you're going to see them on Facebook and they just bought a new iPhone. Or I had one patient that she went on for 20 minutes trying to bargain with me, getting a package deal. And then the next week she came in and she's like, oh yeah, I just brought, bought these front row tickets to this concert. They were $1,000 each. And it's kind of like, if you're going to go down that road, you have to uh, you have to prepare yourself that that's going to happen, that people are going to bargain your prices, but they're going to allocate their money elsewhere. So it's like if you're not mentally prepared for that, just don't give discounts. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think the lower prices devalue the profession? I don't know. I think it kind of depends because I, I kind of do feel that that I want to be able to help everybody. And I don't think there should be this financial barrier of entry into getting treatments. But it's also like kind of like I said before, there are people who are they're willing to pay 60, 80 dollars to get mani pedis every week or they're willing to pay for these other things. It's if that's the case, they should be willing to pay for my services as well. So I think it kind of depends. And sometimes this depends on the outlook of the practitioner as well, that I have known some people that they're just like, I just want to heal the world and help everybody. But then I've known other people that are like, this is a business, Um, not to be cold hearted, but I have rent, I have bills to pay. This is a business. And I think you can maybe kind of a middle ground to think of it is that in order to help people, You need resources. It's like you can't help people if you can't pay your rent. And so sometimes it's uh, you need your own resources in order to help people. I've had that happen, too, where patients have tried to negotiate with me. I want to come back, but I don't want to pay your prices. And I was a sucker because I was like, I want to make money. So I did it. And my friend was standing next to me and she's like, what did you just do? I can't believe you did that. You let someone talk you out of money. I've been with other patients where I'm standing there and I realize they're trying to talk me out of money. They're trying to tell me that they don't value what I'm offering. And that's really hard to take because how do you confront that? How do you stand up to that? And the thing that comes up is, well, how many people argue with their doctor? You know, when you go in to get your physical, I don't want to pay your full price for this physical. You know what? The doctors don't know how much they charge. They don't know what the prices are going to be. They don't know what the codes are going to be. 
And that's probably built into the system so people can't negotiate with them, right? Even in those private practices, it's all built through insurance. And maybe that's part of why that's important is because it doesn't allow that gray area. But yeah, I've even had that happen where I've had patients who say like, oh, I really want treatment, but I, I can't afford this regularly. I'm like, OK, whatever. Just uh, we'll arrange a package deal because I'd rather have you come in than not come in. And then they come in for treatments and they're like, oh, my gosh, I feel so great. I, I'm so appreciative. Like, can I tip you? I'm like, yeah, you could tip me or you could just pay me my regular price. Like, what's going on here? So that was the first one that somebody told me was make sure you know your worth and know your value and don't undercharge yourself. And so that was something that I could definitely uh, resonate with. Another one that somebody told me was make sure that you get started while you're still in school. And this was another one that was big for me because this is something that I waited until I was out of school and then I got a massage license and then I started doing massage and started seeing people. And I just thought to myself, oh man, if I had started this a year ago when I was still in school, I would be in a much better position now. So I've had people say, start with something. Either if you're doing massage, get a massage license and start building up a clientele. If you're going to do social media, start your social media. Um, Start networking while you're still in school. Or if you can, start working with somebody else, even as a front desk person or as an assistant to get some experience. So that was a big one for me. But it sounds like you did that. You, you were coming into this with some massage experience, and that kind of gave you a leg up when you're starting out. Yep. So I had my massage practice. I actually had several jobs as I was finishing the program, which is pretty amazing to think that I was studying for boards and had multiple jobs. I had my massage job. I was working out of a yoga studio and I was also an assistant at an acupuncture practice. And so I was thinking, okay, so I'm going to finish school wait until my boards were taken. And then I had to wait until I got my license. And that was a lot of time that I would have been out of the medicine. And I really wanted to continue being in that mindset. And so getting a job as an assistant at an acupuncture clinic, which was, you know, just a couple hours a week, but it made a huge difference because not only was I still in the medicine and in the mindset, but in the community, right? New people to have discussions with about what herbs to choose for this patient that I got to see and witness the treatments that these longtime acupuncturists were doing. And it was just a place to just kind of mull around all the things that I had learned and start to see it in actual application. Because I think that's one thing is like, you know, School is easy because you know where you have to be, you know what you have to know at the time you have to know it, and it's very structured. And then when you're on your own, that structure isn't there. You have to create it for yourself. And so being in an assistant for an acupuncture clinic allowed me to see a structure of how I could run my business. And I would definitely say we we mimicked a lot of that after that experience because several of the practitioners at our clinic worked at that same place we all assisted at. And so that was great that we could bring the wisdom we saw at that place to our place. And, you know, sharing this information was about abundance and this bounty that we could all benefit from sharing the information, like what you're doing with this podcast, you know, sharing the wisdom of all the people that are out there and doing things and what that looks like and how that's going to work. And there's definitely things we don't do that we had to do there. And I think that's a really important thing is to think about your segue. 
You know, what is that going to look like for you? Yeah. Can you be at the front desk? Because you're going to have to have some kind of software. Um, you know, I wish we would have started off digital, but we started off with paper and it was pretty painstaking to flip to digital. And, you know, I have to admit, I was one of the people that was dragging my feet. You know, I was like, I know how to do it with paper. I know how to do it with this certain software. And I wanted to stay with it because I was familiar with it. And, you know, it took me a couple months, but I actually prefer now the digital version. And, you know, I had to, you know, be that old dog learning new tricks. And that was a big thing for me that when I graduated and I had that massage license, I went and worked for a chiropractor. Now, I'll be honest, working for a chiropractor was not good money. But what was really good about it is I got to see how another person ran their practice. And chiropractors are really good at running a practice. So even in terms of like making the money and doing the massage, that wasn't the big part of that. But being able to see how a practice is run, how they walk their clients through the process, what they do with follow-ups, how they run their front desk, how they run their waiting room, all of that stuff was really good experience that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. I agree. I think being able to see all the protocols and steps and, you know, you're going to make your own and you're going to learn different ones along the way. Um, One of the ones that I think I learned from the chiropractor that I worked for too was walking the patients out and saying goodbye to them. Oh yeah, that was a big one. Cause I remember he said he had a massage therapist that after every massage, she would walk out and say, I hope I did a good job. And then kind of like bow or namaste. And he was like, that is such a terrible way to end the treatment. So even those things about like, how do you first greet the patient when they come in? How do you leave the patient? Uh, What do you say after your treatment? All those things were not necessarily things I learned in school, but it was good, uh, good to see someone who's experienced be able to walk me through that. And I think, you know, I think the end of the session is really important. What are they walking away? Like, what's the last impression of you? And so what I've done is I find that I often overwhelm people because I have a gazillion ideas, you know, do this meditation, this breathing technique, this law. So I try to limit myself to three things to give them for homework. But what I did is I went on Canva, if you're familiar with that. And I printed out like a little menu. And then on the back of the menu, I put exercises, meditations, food, herbs, and then I have a place to write it in. And I hand write it in in front of them. This is what we talked about in the session. And here are the things you can go home and do. And there's things that I usually tell people every time. Drink more water, right? Being the number one thing. Um, And then I hand that to them. So they leave my office with my phone number, with my email address, with my price list, and with the suggestions. And there's something really nice about having something tangible to leave with. Uh, We tried at the beginning to do like um, folders, like a new patient folders. And it was just, I don't know, we we bought a whole bunch of them and they just stayed in the drawers because it was so hard to organize that. Yeah, sometimes I would just even do like post-it notes. I'd just be like, here are two or three things on a post-it note. And I had patients like, yeah, I keep your little post-it note in my purse all the time. So just having something can be good. Mm-hmm. Hey, sorry to interrupt. I just real quick want to tell you about a topical called Evil Bone Water. This is a high-quality, made-in-America version of Jungu Shui. We had the creator, Mark Brinson, on in session 14 of the podcast. And basically, Mark started noticing a decline in the quality of the imported versions of Jungu Shui. So 
he decided to make his own. He went back to the original formula. He added back in some missing ingredients like san chi. He uses imperial grade herbs from China, natural camphor and menthol instead of the synthetic stuff. And he makes it in grain alcohol instead of rubbing alcohol. So it's a little bit nicer on your skin. So if you want to try out Evil Bone Water, you can order individual bottles from Dragon Blood Balm. There's a link in the description along with a code for 15% off. And if you're a practitioner and you want to sell Evil Bone Water in your clinic, there's a link to set up a wholesale account as well. Do you take insurance? I do not. Okay, good. Good. Um, no, so that's an interesting thing. That's another thing I like to ask people is, do you take insurance? Because a lot of people feel like they have to take insurance. I've never taken insurance. I know a lot of other people who don't take insurance. And it was actually really interesting talking to people. I talked to a few people that they started out taking insurance and then they stopped taking insurance. And they actually said they made more money once they stopped taking insurance. And so I thought that was really interesting. So at least from your perspective, um, in your practice, it's totally easy to survive not taking insurance. Yes. And again, like I said, I think the segue of having massage patients and kind of having that protocol down really led me into a really great place to not have to take insurance. There are practitioners at our clinic who do, and they're very busy. I don't know how much money they make because I know there's a lot of like back end stuff, right? You have to call the insurance company. You have to make sure it goes through. They're limited. And you know what? I don't have time for that. You know, I know some people are fine with it and they they figured it out. But I feel like we've paid way too much money to not get the full cut. And um, that really upsets me when people are like, yep, they were paying the $10 copay. And then, you know, I never got paid for it. That breaks my heart. That somebody worked this hard to help somebody and they only made a small, small amount. And so I don't do insurance, but I do accept super bills. So if there's a patient who's like, oh, but I really need my insurance, I tell them I'll do a super bill. I can do the code. I know I get paid and it's up to them if they want to you know, get reimbursed and do the work for that. And, And that's way easier. And I tell patients I'll only do it in bulk. Like, I'm going to do it after five or ten sessions. I don't want to do it once every random whatever. And so insurance is something I think that varies, maybe varies by where you are. I think maybe in California it's not so good. I've been placed in the the Midwest where it's like some patients, we got a whole lot of money. Some patients, they literally sent us a check for 27 cents. I'm like, why did you even bother putting a stamp on this? So I think that's really common that a lot of people will say they do super bills. And then I hear a lot of people say that if you do take insurance – get a biller to do all the work for you. And they say, whatever they charge, it's definitely worth it. But I do think there are plenty of people who get by without accepting insurance. So I feel like that's something that people shouldn't feel pressured that they have to take insurance, that you can still have a thriving practice, cash only. There's a practitioner at the clinic who sees a very high volume of patients. But when I look at the net income is... I see less patients, but I charge cash rates and I still make more money than her, even though she's seen more patients. And it's because of insurance. And there's nothing wrong with that if she's totally fine with that. Um, And, you know, more power to her. And I think that's great. And she's a wonderful practitioner. Um, But that's what I come up against is, you know, what if all those patients that she was seeing were cash, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what a lot of people said is that, like, I talked to some people that in the beginning they took insurance and they dropped their, and then they dropped it and they actually were making more money seeing fewer patients cash only. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you another question. Oh no. Questions for me. 
What's been the most challenging part of your practice? I would say me personally, I, I have a few problems. One is it turns out I'm really lazy. And so it's really hard to be self-employed and stay motivated. And that's just like true of like not only practicing, but doing other things, you know, making YouTube videos and things like that, where it's like when you're by yourself and there's nobody holding you accountable, it's really easy to be like, yeah, I should make a website today or I can sleep in and watch cartoons. And so that was like there was a really big discipline problem for me. And that's something I still really struggle with is uh, I'm just a lazy person. Anything else? Where where can we find you? If we want to find you on the internet, on Instagram? Yes, you can find me at jazz at sdherbalmedicine.com. That's J-A-Z with one Z. Or my website is jazzhandsmassageandaccu.com. Did I say that weird? No, no, I just thought jazz. I, I didn't know that was, that was your email, jazz hands. Yeah. It's really... So the story with that name is, um, you know, as a massage therapist first, so then when we were practicing needling and my peers would lay on the table or we'd have to partner up, people would always say, oh, you get partnered with jazz hands today. Because I would always do a little massage before I started needling and my classmates would start to fight over who could be my partner because they always knew they were getting a little massage and they called me jazz hands and they're like, you should name your business that. And I'm like, I don't know, that sounds really cheesy, but you know what? It's really catchy and people remember it. So jazz hands, massage and accu.com. Oh, can I promote something? Yeah, do. Yeah. Whatever you got. So one other thing that I've been working on is, you know, a lot of things are going digital, such as the podcast and YouTube. Um, and a colleague of mine, Dr. Kim DiStefano, we have gotten together and we are about to drop our new website called herbsimmunityhealth.com. We're going to have a free ebook and we're also going to have a comprehensive guide. So as the pandemic was unfolding, we realized why are there no conversations about how to support your immune system? That's what Chinese medicine does. And yes, there's been a couple of books out, but most of them are for Chinese practitioners. So we have created um, an ebook. We're going to do courses, uh, blogs, um, webinar series, um, talking about how to boost your immune system using Chinese medicine for the public. So we hope to make it a resource that other acupuncturists can send their patients to. Um, because we want people to be informed. We want to educate people. Um, so that's another place that people can go to find us. And we're really excited about that because I think that's a resource that we need as acupuncturists is a place to send people to do immune boosting things at home, exercises, qigong, et cetera. Yeah, that sounds like a really good resource. What's it? It's um, health, immunityhealth.com? Herbsimmunityhealth.com. Herbsimmunityhealth.com. All right, Dr. Jazz, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. This podcast can be downloaded for free at podcast.tcmstudy.net slash session one. Special thank you to Dr. Jazz for being here and sharing her experiences. Special thank you to the Patreon members for supporting this podcast, the website, and the YouTube channel. If you get value out of this content and you'd like to support the channel, consider making a contribution by joining the Patreon. You can go to tcmstudy.net and click on the Patreon link at the top for more information. And special thank you to you for listening. We appreciate your support, your comments, your feedback, and sharing this with your friends. So thanks for listening. That's all for today. We'll see you next time.